Well, we've been doing uh, our series over the past three years. We've done four seasons of Jesus the series. And the goal has been for this series that might last my whole entire lifetime. Uh, we have been going through the words and works of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want to work like Jesus and we want to talk like Jesus. We're following what Jesus said and what Jesus did. That's our mission. So bum bum, last time on Jesus the series, we saw four friends bring a lame man to Jesus through the roof, right? They didn't stop. And we saw that real friends make you better. Next, we saw a a man healed at the pool of Bethesda, but more than just his physical body was healed. He was saved and healed from his sin as well. Next, we saw the Pharisees all in a huff because Jesus' disciples picked grain on the Sabbath day. And we talked about how that if our real rules prevent us from either loving God or loving people, then we're doing something wrong. And last time we saw Jesus call the tax collector Matthew to follow him. And we saw that Jesus is the friend of sinners and we should be too. So after Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, he forms this super group called the disciples. And we'll see that in Matthew 10, verse 1, if you want to uh, take a look at this. Actually, you can wait. And if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, that's where we're going to be most of the morning this morning. Let me read this to you. Matthew uh, 10, verse 1, we see him call the disciples to him. And he called to him his 12 disciples... And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, I like that one, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, I think we have a Thaddeus, do we have a Thaddeus here today? Uh, Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, and that is the Judas that betrayed him. So Jesus didn't do everything himself, and that's what we see. Even Jesus left us this model called multiplication, where we pass on what's important to us to other people, namely the gospel. And he left us this model on how to reach the world for Christ training and discipling people to further the kingdom of God and then sending them out to train and disciple people to do the same. So it's no coincidence that Jesus's ministry really started to make an impact once he began to uh, push out the gospel through other people. And that's what we're supposed to do too. Every church ought to be a church of multiplication, not just sitting in a room, listening to teaching and never doing anything with it. We are given things. Everything that we've been given has been given to give away. And that's that it doesn't end with us, right? We have been passed along this message called the gospel and God's word all throughout history for 2000 years. You have what you have today. This hope you have is because someone else gave it to you, and they didn't let it stop with them. And it's our responsibility and our honor and our privilege to be able to give that hope to someone else. This is the gospel. This is multiplication. 
And when we are determined to be the church, to worship together with other people, and to uh, live in community together with other people, and to live on mission together with other people, we gather, grow, and give, and then we train other people to do that too. That's when change can really happen. And that's when we can really begin to make an impact on the community that we're living in. And the disciples do it. And they do a great job. But it isn't easy. Persecution came. Struggles happened. It got hard. So fast forward. Jesus sends out his disciples to go do the ministry and to train others. And we see next Jesus standing on the side of a mountain about to give the greatest and most amazing and challenging sermon ever preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. So at this point, thousands of people were following Jesus from all over the area. The Bible says uh, his fame spread from Syria to Galilee to Decapolis to Judea, Jerusalem, and beyond Jordan. And this is not the time of Instagram and Twitter and the news or telephones or any of that stuff. So the word spreading was a big deal. Why? Because they didn't let, let it just be a thing in their community. They told other people and they pushed it out. So this first section on the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. If you've ever heard that word before, it's probably been, you know, kind of a, a, a weird word for you to think about. But this word is actually not find it, found in the Bible. It's derived from the Latin word beatus, which means happy or blessed. And if you're going to see these beatitudes, all of them start with blessed is the person that does this. This sermon is a counter-cultural sermon. It's all about how in the kingdom of God, everything is upside down. Servants are the leaders. The last shall become first. And he's going to tell us that true followers of Jesus are different. They live by a different moral code and march to a beat of a different drummer and they value things differently. A follower of Jesus is going to be different. God has called us to be separate from the world, but to still love the world, but to be in the world, but to be different than the world. To do unexpected things, to forgive when other people expect us to get revenge and to love when others hate. There was once a a little girl that asked her mother, if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, shouldn't he show through? And if we're Christians, when people see us, Jesus should show through. But if you're anything like me, too often what shows through is my pride or my anger or my arrogance or sarcasm or, or, you know, disingenuousness. That's probably not a word, but you know what I'm talking about. But too often, my flesh shows through rather than Jesus. But it's not supposed to be this way. If we're Christians, when people see us, they should see Jesus showing through. It tells us that in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. We are the only things in all of creation that were created in the image of God. That's a big deal. And all life has value. Every race, every economic uh, situation, all life, every country has value 
All human life has value because we are made in the image of God. We have spirits that are immortal and that will outlast our bodies. We are intellectual. We can reason and think and solve problems. We're relational. We can give and receive real love. We have a conscience. We can appreciate beauty. We can enjoy laughter. We are set apart. Why? Because we are made in the image of Jesus Christ. And he should show through. So let's read these Beatitudes, these ways to be blessed, these people describing what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those of you who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we see here eight Beatitudes, this list that was just been given to to us of what it looks like to be blessed, to be happy, to have joy. One of the things that you'll notice in these verses is that it mentions the kingdom of heaven several times. But don't think of heaven as just a place because it's more than that. It's not just the thing that happens after you die. Heaven is the space where God dwells. And that's the thing that's so amazing about heaven. It's not the streets of gold and all that kind of stuff. No, it is the fact that we get to be in the presence of God. And heaven is the space where God dwells. Heaven is the place where God's will is done. And although these things will be experienced in heaven because of Jesus, we don't have to wait till heaven to experience heaven on earth. See, the blessing of God's kingdoms are both present and future. So this list isn't just a list of eight things to try and force yourself to do. You shouldn't look at these things and just say, oh man, here's another eight things I've got to do. No, these are things that ought to flow out of us, from us living in the love of Jesus Christ and remembering who we are in Christ. These are things that ought to flow out of us, not another list of to-dos. So the first four we're going to see are going to deal with the internal with what we do on the inside. And don't worry, today we're not going to do like eight points. We're going to do two today, okay? Y'all can relax. Uh, We're going to just deal with the first two. So verse three starts us off. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? That's great. That's good news, right? This is, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be blessed. So what does this mean, though? Happy, blissful, fortunate are those who are poor in spirit. Well, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? How many of y'all know what it means to be poor? Amen? Yeah. 
I've felt that before, right? But is that what it's talking about? Is that just, is it economically a situation that we're in? What synonyms for poor are broke, busted, bankrupt. So blessed are the people that are spiritually poor and spiritually bankrupt. Well, how's that something that will make us happy and and blissful and fortunate? Well, Jesus is telling us here that real joy is realized when you understand that you are spiritually broke and yet you really need God in your life and that you can't handle life on your own. This person would say, God, I need you in my life and I cannot do this without you. Are you to that point right now? Many of us have been there in the past and been there at times where we realize that every morning we just got up and realized I cannot do this without God. I am spiritually poor, bankrupt. But then we get going in our Christian life and things start going pretty good because we're relying on Jesus. And all of a sudden we start thinking we're okay, right? We start taking things back and we start letting off the gas pedal and we coast for a little while. And we begin to feel like maybe we're spiritually, you know, middle class. We're not, we're not rich, you know, I'm not saying that, but I'm okay. I'm better than some people, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit higher up than some people. But we forget that we're spiritually bankrupt in anything that we have. The Bible calls it filthy rags. That's what our righteousness looks like. And I won't share with you what scholars think filthy rags mean, but go and look it up because it's gross. It's worse than you think it is. That's the best that I can do on my own. And here he's saying, blessed are those that are poor in spirit, that people that realize that I bring nothing to the table. I don't care how long I've been a Christian, what titles I've had, whether I'm a pastor or deacon or a Sunday school teacher, I bring nothing to the table apart from Jesus Christ. He's saying your first step to joy and happiness is to realize you are spiritually broke and bankrupt. People that are truly happy and content have realized they are a spiritual bum. Remember Samson, right? We just ended that series on Samson. And he, he thought he could steal, uh, steer his life on his own and that he would be okay. Why? Because he was strong. He'd been given gifts. He was chosen. But he forgot that he was spiritually bankrupt. Samson thought he was strong on his own and that made him weak. But we saw that after Samson was made weak, God can use people that understand that they are weak. And you probably figured this out by now, but with you at the steering wheel of your life, you're going to experience a bumpy ride. You need God to be the driver. And people that realize they are spiritually bankrupt and God is their only source of help can experience heaven on this earth. They are blessed. Next, it goes on in verse four. It says, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. How many of y'all remember Charlie Brown, right? Most depressing cartoon you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) The Christmas one's good, but go watch the other ones. It's all about how Charlie Brown is bullied by everybody and you know, has no self-esteem. It's terrible. And he's balding for some reason. I don't understand that. But he always used to say good grief, right? But, you know, that's not something that makes any sense to us. Grief is not a happy emotion. It's, it's painful. And no one wants grief. 
But this isn't talking about mourning that the Steelers lost again, right? Or that you wrecked your car or wrecked somebody else's car. These are dealing with who we are. That's what these things are. These first four are saying, this is who you are. And these type of people have blessing in their life and, and happiness and joy in their life. It's not just about what happens to us. Because circumstances change. But a person that is following Jesus and relying on him can have steadiness and calmness in the midst of the storm. When we remember the first beatitude we just talked about, we would see why Jesus might put this next, right? Because once we finally realize that we are spiritually broke and our only hope is to have God in our life, then naturally, once you realize who God is and remember what he's done and stop believing that you have any, uh, you know, great spiritual, uh, you know, accolades on your own, when you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt, then sin will begin to break your heart and naturally you will mourn. Why? Because how could we disobey and offend a God that loves us so much? When was the last time you really felt the weight of the sin that you've committed against God? When was the last time you allowed that that to uh, remind you how good God is? Not to stay in guilt and not to Uh, Not to just live in shame, but just to remember how big this thing called redemption and salvation is. And what the cross really means. Because unless we understand the depths of our sin, we cannot understand how great of a sacrifice it was. How long has it been since you remembered your own sin? How long has it been since you've taken an inventory of all the things that God has forgiven you for? How long since you looked yourself in the eye and saw yourself for what you really are, a sinner? A word when we're talking about these things should come to our mind, and that's repentance. Because when your sin becomes repulsive to you and you turn from it and turn towards God, that's when he promises to comfort you. Those of you that are parents have probably never had a situation where you knew your child understood what they did wrong. And they came to you and they said, I'm so sorry. If you're any type of a good parent, that's going to break your heart and you're going to say, hey, I love you. I forgive you. I've never had a situation where one of my children came back and understood that they messed up. And, they, and I didn't just accept them immediately. Many times there's no even consequences for it. Why? Because they understood and they mourned over their sin. And here's a promise in God's word that if we will understand the depths of our sin and mourn, that he will accept us every single time. He will forgive you and welcome you back just like the prodigal son. You remember that story, right? The son thinks he's okay on his own. He's got everything figured out. He doesn't need the dad anymore. So he goes out and he sets out to live a happy and a blessed life. He does it on his own and he finds himself broke. All his friends left him behind eating with the pigs. And he reminded himself. The Bible even says he came to himself. He came to this conclusion 
that I'm better off just going back to my father's house and just being a, a slave or servant. And he runs back home expecting nothing, re- realizing that he deserves nothing from his father. And his father understands that he realizes the depth of what he did. And he welcomes him back. Repenting is looking at your sins like God looks at them. God hates sin, and as Christians, we should hate our sin. We're great at hating other people's sin, right? We're great at calling out all the sins that we don't struggle with. We're great at saying America's, you know, going to hell and that, and that you know, there's sin just running rampant and getting angry about it, but we don't hate our sin. Man, my sin's not that bad. I'm spiritually okay, right? But when we realize the depths of our sin and what he has done for us, it ought to break our hearts. But we don't stay there. We don't stay in guilt and shame. We run to the Father and we mourn and we get comforted and we repent and accept the forgiveness that God extends to us. And we allow him to comfort us with his love. Jesus is giving us some real hard gospel truth that if you let pride slip into your life and if you let apathy over your sin blind you to where you've come from, then you will not live a life filled with joy. You will not live a blessed life. But people that remember what Christ did for them and they accept that forgiveness, and get back up. And they remember that they're spiritually broken and that their sin hurts God. They just live differently. People that remember and bathe in the gospel are going to live differently because you cannot look at the gospel and not fall in love with Jesus. And what is the gospel? It's that I am a sinner and I deserve nothing but hell. But Jesus paid the price for me and he loves me that much. We can't become apathetic. We can't begin to think that we're making it and we're arriving. Because without Christ, we're spiritually bankrupt and poor. Maybe that's not where you are this morning. Maybe, maybe you're not to the point that you realize and remember. Maybe you used to you know, kind of have that in the back of your mind, but it's been a long time since you allowed yourself to remember how big this thing called salvation is. Maybe you really are stuck in that position where you love your sin, right? It's not the big sins. It's just the judgmentalness and gossip and, and anger and all those, right? It's not the big ones. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal anybody's cat. It's not the big ones. Catnapping is a big deal. (laughs) It's just the little ones, right, that everybody struggles with. Well, we're all sinners, right? We're all in the same boat, and that boat is sinking. Maybe you have no desire to change. That ought to scare us a little bit, right? That ought to shake us up a little bit. Because if we are saved, we're going to have proof of that salvation. If we've asked God to forgive us of our sins and we've become a follower of Jesus, there's going to be proof. And yes, we will sin. But we're not going to sin without that, that guilt and that 
grief associated with it, that, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that's calling us to be different. Yeah, we might make the same bad choice over and over again, but there ought to be something inside of us that calls us to change, called the Holy Spirit. And maybe you hardened your heart to God, and he did call you over and over again away from that sin, and you told him to be quiet. You better investigate why you're so comfortable in your sin. We need to ask God for soft hearts that listen to his voice. And realize that we are just sinners in need of a Savior. And any time we, we like to take a little step up onto that pedestal, we ought to pray that God would knock us off and remind us. Every time we begin to kind of look down on somebody, we think we're, I'm not that bad. That God would knock us off and remind our hearts that I am spiritually poor and bankrupt. But we don't have to stay there. God wants to tell us, look, yes, that's where you are without me, but let me tell you where you are with me. Yes, that's where you are when you reject me, but let me tell you where I can take you if we will walk together. We need to ask for soft hearts that listen to his voice. Because this is the upside down kingdom, right? Pride, when we lift ourselves up, a fall comes. But if we want to be lifted up, we must be brought low. And that's why James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're anything like me, that first part of the verse, you're like, yeah, God opposes you. But we miss that second, that amazing gift in the second half of that verse, but he gives grace, grace to the humble. The poor in spirit get the kingdom. Those that mourn are comforting. Jesus is surrounded by his disciples as he preaches to this crowd, and he tell, he's telling them what it looks like to follow him. Jesus should show through. Happy and fortunate are the people that realize that they are in desperate need of Jesus. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. That's one of the downsides of looking at Jesus' words, is that they beat us up. He calls us to something different. He calls us to more than we think we are capable of. He calls us to things that are not normal. He's telling us in these verses, in the Beatitudes, this is what it looks like to follow me. All the little extra things that we add on there about what it means to be a good Christian many times are surface level things. It's not about what we're doing, it's about who we're being. Namely, that Jesus should show through. And that's the prayer for us today. It's God, help me to remember who I am without you. God, help me to feel the weight of this great gift that you have given me. Help me to, to repent when I've sinned against you. 
and to run back to you. Help me to mourn, but don't let me stay there, God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for every person listening online, God, every person in this room, God. Lord, we want to be blessed. We want to have this this blissful and fortunate life that you describe. Rewire our minds away from the American dream, the picket fence and the dog and, and all that stuff, and help us to remember It's all about following you. Remind our hearts that without you, we are nothing. Apart from you, I am nothing. And when pride creeps into our heart and we think that we can do it on our own, God, knock us off the pedestal. God, we're going to praise you for all of it. Pray you help us to be more like you. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you are a follower of Jesus. We talked about repentance and about how we understand the depth of our sin and realize that we cannot make it to God on our own. That's the bad news. We're destined for hell apart from God. But God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners... Jesus Christ died for us. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. The Bible says we've got to understand the depth of our sin. We've got to know we need a Savior. Then we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our only means of salvation. Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe that's you this morning. He needed to call out to Jesus right now. Tell him you're sorry for the things that you've done, the, law, uh, the laws against God that you've broken, the lies and the, the wicked thoughts and the words that you've said. And ask him to forgive you of all that. And then turn to him. Let go of all the, the things that you've held on to. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as the only way to get to God. That's you today. Words aren't important. You can call out to God right now. I want to challenge you if that's you today and you're still dealing with it, that's okay. You take your time. You write that down on the bottom of your card. I chose Jesus. Maybe you're online. Send me a message. I chose Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about what's next. Amen.